letter one part two of letters on demonology and witchcraft by sir walter scott this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain reading by dion gines salt lake city utah letter one part two having added these two remarkable instances to the general train of similar facts quoted by ferrier hibbert and other writers who have more recently considered the subject there can we think be little doubt of the proposition that the external organs may from various causes become so much deranged as to make false representations to the mind and that in such cases men in the literal sense really see the empty and false forms and hear the ideal sounds which in a more primitive state of society are naturally enough referred to the action of demons or disembodied spirits in such unhappy cases the patient is intellectually in the condition of a general whose spies have been bribed by the enemy and who must engage himself in the difficult and delicate task of examining and correcting by his own powers of argument the probability of the reports which are too inconsistent to be trusted to but there is a corollary to this proposition which is worthy of notice the same species of organic derangement which as a continued habit of his deranged vision presented the subject of our last tale with the successive apparitions of his cat his gentleman usher and the fatal skeleton may occupy for a brief or almost momentary space the vision of men who are otherwise perfectly clear-sighted transitory deceptions are thus presented to the organs which when they occur to men of strength of mind and of education give way to scrutiny and their character being once investigated the true takes the place of the unreal representation but in ignorant times those instances in which any object is misrepresented whether through the action of the senses or of the imagination or the combined influence of both for however short a space of time may be admitted as direct evidence of a supernatural apparition a proof the more difficult to be disputed if the phantom has been personally witnessed by a man of sense and estimation who perhaps satisfied in the general as to the actual existence of apparitions has not taken time or trouble to correct his first impressions this species of deception is so frequent that one of the greatest poets of the present time answered a lady who asked him if he believed in ghosts no madam i have seen too many myself i may mention one or two instances of the kind to which no doubt can be attached the first shall be the apparition of mapertuus to a brother professor in the royal society of berlin this extraordinary circumstance appeared in the transactions of the society but is thus stated by m in his recollections of frederick the great and the court of berlin it is necessary to premise that m gleditch 
to whom the circumstance happened was a botanist of eminence holding the professorship of natural philosophy at berlin and respected as a man of an habitually serious simple and tranquil character a short time after the death of mapertuas Monsieur gleditch being obliged to traverse the hall in which the academy held its sittings having some arrangements to make in the cabinet of natural history which was under his charge and being willing to complete them on the thursday before the meeting he perceived on entering the hall the apparition of Monsieur de maupertuis upright and stationary in the first angle on his left hand having his eyes fixed on him this was about three o'clock afternoon the professor of natural philosophy was too well acquainted with physical science to suppose that his late president who had died at bale in the family of messrs bernouilli could have found his way back to berlin in person he regarded the apparition in no other light than as a phantom produced by some derangement of his own proper organs Monsieur gleditch went to his own business without stopping longer than to ascertain exactly the appearance of that object but he related the vision to his brethren and assured them that it was as defined and perfect as the actual person of maupertuis could have presented when it is recollected that maupertuis died at a distance from berlin once the scene of his triumphs overwhelmed by the petulant ridicule of voltaire and out of favour with frederick with whom to be ridiculous was to be worthless we can hardly wonder at the imagination even of a man of physical science calling up his eidolon in the hall of his former greatness the sober-minded professor did not however push his investigation to the point to which it was carried by a gallant soldier from whose mouth a particular friend of the author received the following circumstances of a similar story captain c was a native of britain but bred in the irish brigade he was a man of the most dauntless courage which he displayed in some uncommonly desperate adventures during the first years of the french revolution being repeatedly employed by the royal family in very dangerous commissions after the king's death he came over to england and it was then the following circumstance took place captain c was a catholic and in his hour of adversity at least sincerely attached to the duties of his religion his confessor was a clergyman who was residing as chaplain to a man of rank in the west of england about four miles from the place where captain c lived on riding over one morning to see this gentleman his penitent had the misfortune to find him very ill from a dangerous complaint he retired in great distress and apprehension of his friend's life and the feeling brought back upon him many other painful and disagreeable recollections these occupied him till the hour of retiring to bed 
when to his great astonishment he saw in the room the figure of the absent confessor he addressed it but received no answer the eyes alone were impressed by the appearance determined to push the matter to the end captain c advanced on the phantom which appeared to retreat gradually before him in this manner he followed it around the bed when it seemed to sink down on an elbow-chair and remain there in a sitting posture to ascertain positively the nature of the apparition the soldier himself sat down on the same chair ascertaining thus beyond question that the whole was illusion yet he owned that had his friend died about the same time he would not well have known what name to give to his vision but as the confessor recovered and in dr johnson's phrase nothing came of it the incident was only remarkable as showing that men of the strongest nerves are not exempted from such delusions another illusion of the same nature we have the best reason for vouching as a fact though for certain reasons we do not give the names of the parties not long after the death of a late illustrious poet who had filled while living a great station in the eye of the public a literary friend to whom the deceased had been well known was engaged during the darkening twilight of an autumn evening in perusing one of the publications which professed to detail the habits and opinions of the distinguished individual who was now no more as the reader had enjoyed the intimacy of the deceased to a considerable degree he was deeply interested in the publication which contained some particulars relating to himself and other friends a visitor was sitting in the apartment who was also engaged in reading their sitting-room opened into an entrance-hall rather fantastically fitted up with articles of armour skins of wild animals and the like it was when laying down his book and passing into this hall through which the moon was beginning to shine that the individual of whom i speak saw right before him and in a standing posture the exact representation of his departed friend whose recollection had been so strongly brought to his imagination he stopped for a single moment so as to notice the wonderful accuracy with which fancy had impressed upon the bodily eye the peculiarities of dress and posture of the illustrious poet sensible however of the delusion he felt no sentiment save that of wonder at the extraordinary accuracy of the resemblance and stepped onwards towards the figure which resolved itself as he approached into the various materials of which it was composed these were merely a screen occupied by greatcoats shawls plaids and other articles as usually are found in a country entrance hall the spectator returned to the spot from which he had seen the illusion and endeavoured 
with all his power to recall the image which had been so singularly vivid but this was beyond his capacity and the person who had witnessed the apparition or more properly whose excited state had been the means of raising it had only to return into the apartment and tell his young friend under what a striking hallucination he had for a moment laboured there is every reason to believe that instances of this kind are frequent among persons of a certain temperament and when such occur in an early period of society they are almost certain to be considered as real supernatural appearances they differ from those of nikolai and others formerly noticed as being of short duration and constituting no habitual or constitutional derangement of the system the apparition of mapertuus to monsieur gledich that of the catholic clergyman to captain c that of a late poet to his friend are of the latter character they bear to the former the analogy as we may say which a sudden and temporary fever fit has to a serious feverish illness but even for this very reason it is more difficult to bring such momentary impressions back to their real sphere of optical illusions since they accord much better with our idea of glimpses of the future world than those in which the vision is continued or repeated for hours days and months affording opportunities of discovering from other circumstances that the symptom originates in deranged health before concluding these observations upon the deceptions of the senses we must remark that the eye is the organ most essential to the purpose of realizing to our mind the appearance of external objects and that when the visual organ becomes depraved for a greater or less time and to a farther or more limited extent its misrepresentation of the objects of sight is peculiarly apt to terminate in such hallucinations as those we have been detailing yet the other senses or organs in their turn and to the extent of their power are as ready in their various departments as the sight itself to retain false or doubtful impressions which mislead instead of informing the party to whom they are addressed thus in regard to the ear the next organ in importance to the eye we are repeatedly deceived by such sounds as are imperfectly gathered up and erroneously apprehended from the false impressions received from this organ also arise consequences similar to those derived from erroneous reports made by the organs of sight a whole class of superstitious observances arise and are grounded upon inaccurate and imperfect hearing to the excited and imperfect state of the ear we owe the existence of what milton sublimely calls the airy tongues that syllable men's names on shores in desert sands and wildernesses 
these also appear such natural causes of alarm that we do not sympathize more readily with robinson crusoe's apprehensions when he witnesses the print of the savage foot in the sand than in those which arise from his being waked from sleep by some one calling his name in the solitary island where there existed no man but the shipwrecked mariner himself amidst the train of superstitions deduced from the imperfections of the ear we may quote that visionary summons which the natives of the hebrides acknowledged as one sure sign of approaching fate the voice of some absent or probably some deceased relative was in such cases heard as repeating the party's name sometimes the aerial summoner intimated his own death and at others it was no uncommon circumstance that the person who fancied himself so called died in consequence for the same reason that the negro pines to death who is laid under the ban of an obi woman or the cambro briton whose name is put into the famous cursing well with the usual ceremonies devoting him to the infernal gods wastes away and dies as one doomed to do so it may be remarked also that dr johnson retained a deep impression that while he was opening the door of his college chambers he heard the voice of his mother then at many miles distance call him by his name and it appears he was rather disappointed that no event of consequence followed a summons sounding so decidedly supernatural it is unnecessary to dwell on this sort of auricular deception of which most men's recollection will supply instances the following may be stated as one serving to show by what slender accidents the human ear may be imposed upon the author was walking about two years since in a wild and solitary scene with a young friend who laboured under the infirmity of a severe deafness when he heard what he conceived to be the cry of a distant pack of hounds sounding intermittently as the season was summer this on a moment's reflection satisfied the hearer that it could not be the clamour of an actual chase and yet his ears repeatedly brought back the supposed cry he called upon his own dogs of which two or three were with the walking party they came in quietly and obviously had no accession to the sounds which had caught the author's attention so that he could not help saying to his companion i am doubly sorry for your infirmity at this moment for i could otherwise have let you hear the cry of the wild huntsman as the young gentleman used a hearing-tube he turned when spoken to and in doing so the cause of the phenomenon became apparent the supposed distant sound was in fact a nigh one being the singing of the wind in the instrument which the young gentleman was obliged to use but which from various circumstances had never occurred to his elder friend as likely to produce the sounds he had heard it is scarce necessary to add 
that the highly imaginative superstition of the wild huntsman in germany seems to have had its origin in strong fancy operating upon the auricular deceptions respecting the numerous sounds likely to occur in the dark recesses of pathless forests the same clue may be found to the kindred scottish belief so finely embodied by the nameless author of albania there since of old the haughty thanes of ross were wont with clans and ready vassals thronged to wake the bounding stag or guilty wolf there oft is heard at midnight or at noon beginning faint but rising still more loud and louder voice of hunters and of hounds and horns hoarse winded blowing far and keen forthwith the hubbub multiplies the air labours with louder shouts and rifer din of close pursuit the broken cry of deer mangled by throttling dogs the shouts of men and hoofs thick beating on the hollow hill sudden the grazing heifer in the vale starts at the tumult and the herdsman's ears tingle with inward dread aghast he eyes the upland ridge and every mountain round but not one trace of living white discerns nor knows overawed and trembling as he stands to what or whom he owes his idle fear to ghost to witch to fairy or to fiend but wonders and no end of wondering finds it must also be remembered that to the auricular deceptions practised by the means of ventriloquism or otherwise may be traced many of the most successful impostures which credulity has received as supernatural communications the sense of touch seems less liable to perversion than either that of sight or smell nor are there many cases in which it can become accessory to such false intelligence as the eye and ear collecting their objects from a greater distance and by less accurate enquiry are but too ready to convey yet there is one circumstance in which the sense of touch as well as others is very apt to betray its possessor into inaccuracy in respect to the circumstances which it impresses on its owner the case occurs during sleep when the dreamer touches with his hand some other part of his own person he is clearly in this case both the actor and patient both the proprietor of the member touching and of that which is touched while to increase the complication the hand is both toucher of the limb on which it rests and receives an impression of touch from it and the same is the case with the limb which at one and the same time receives an impression from the hand and conveys to the mind a report respecting the size substance and the like of the member touching now as during sleep the patient is unconscious that both limbs are his own identical property his mind is apt to be much disturbed by the complication of sensations arising from two parts of his person 
being at once acted upon and from their reciprocal action and false impressions are thus received which accurately inquired into would afford a clue to many puzzling phenomena in the theory of dreams this peculiarity of the organ of touch as also that it is confined to no particular organ but is diffused over the whole person of the man is noticed by lucretius ut si forte manu quam vis jam corporis ipse tute tibi partum ferius requi experiare a remarkable instance of such an allusion was told me of a late nobleman he had fallen asleep with some uneasy feelings arising from indigestion they operated in their usual course of visionary terrors at length they were all summed up in the apprehension that the phantom of a dead man held the sleeper by the wrist and endeavoured to drag him out of bed he awaked in horror and still felt the cold dead grasp of a corpse's hand on his right wrist it was a minute before he discovered that his own left hand was in a state of numbness and with it he had accidentally encircled his right arm the taste and the smell like the touch convey more direct intelligence than the eye and the ear and are less likely than those senses to aid in misleading the imagination we have seen the palate in the case of the porridge-fed lunatic enter its protest against the acquiescence of eyes ears and touch in the gay visions which gilded the patient's confinement the palate however is subject to imposition as well as the other senses the best and most acute bon vivant loses his power of discriminating betwixt different kinds of wine if he is prevented from assisting his palate by the aid of his eyes that is if the glasses of each are administered indiscriminately while he is blindfolded nay we are authorized to believe that individuals have died in consequence of having supposed themselves to have taken poison when in reality the draught they had swallowed as such was of an innoxious or restorative quality the delusions of the stomach can seldom bear upon our present subject and are not otherwise connected with supernatural appearances than as a good dinner and its accompaniments are essential in fitting out a daring tam of shanter who is fittest to encounter them when the poet's observation is not unlikely to apply inspiring bold john barleycorn what dangers thou canst make us scorn with tippany we fear no evil with uscabay we'll face the devil the swats so reamed in tammy's noddle fair play he cared not devils a bottle neither has the sense of smell in its ordinary state much connection with our present subject mr aubrey tells us indeed 
of an apparition which disappeared with a curious perfume as well as a most melodious twang and popular belief ascribes to the presence of infernal spirits a strong relish of the sulphureous element of which they are inhabitants such accompaniments therefore are usually united with other materials for imposture if as a general opinion assures us which is not positively discountenanced by dr hibbert by the inhalation of certain gases or poisonous herbs necromancers can dispose a person to believe he sees phantoms it is likely that the nostrils are made to inhale such suffumigation as well as the mouth i have now arrived by a devious path at the conclusion of this letter the object of which is to show from what attributes of our nature whether mental or corporeal arises that predisposition to believe in supernatural occurrences it is i think conclusive that mankind from a very early period have their minds prepared for such events by the consciousness of the existence of a spiritual world inferring in the general proposition the undeniable truth that each man from the monarch to the beggar who has once acted his part on the stage continues to exist and may again even in a disembodied state if such is the pleasure of heaven for aught that we know to the contrary be permitted or ordained to mingle amongst those who yet remain in the body the abstract possibility of apparitions must be admitted by every one who believes in a deity and his superintending omnipotence but imagination is apt to intrude its explanations and inferences founded on inadequate evidence sometimes our violent and inordinate passions originating in sorrow for our friends remorse for our crimes our eagerness of patriotism or our deep sense of devotion these or other violent excitements of a moral character in the visions of night or the rapt ecstasy of the day persuade us that we witness with our eyes and ears an actual instance of that supernatural communication the possibility of which cannot be denied at other times the corporeal organs impose upon the mind while the eye and the ear diseased deranged or misled convey false impressions to the patient very often both the mental delusion and the physical deception exist at the same time and men's belief of the phenomena presented to them however erroneously by the senses is the firmer and more readily granted that the physical impression corresponded with the mental excitement so many causes acting thus upon each other in various degrees or sometimes separately it must happen early in the infancy of every society that there should occur many apparently well authenticated instances of supernatural intercourse satisfactory enough 
to authenticate peculiar examples of the general proposition which is impressed upon us by belief of the immortality of the soul these examples of undeniable apparitions for they are apprehended to be incontrovertible fall like the seed of the husbandman into fertile and prepared soil and are usually followed by a plentiful crop of superstitious figments which derive their sources from circumstances and enactments in sacred and profane history hastily adopted and perverted from their genuine reading this shall be the subject of my next letter end of letter one part two